0: So before we begin today's episode, I just want to take a moment to apologise and say that due to some circumstances outside of our control, as well as much of today's episode's content coming from live interviews on the show floor, the audio quality is going to be a bit lower than our normal standard. We hope that you're still able to enjoy the episode regardless, and we assure you that normal audio quality will be back next month. Hi everyone, and welcome back to a very special episode of the Schools and Academy Show podcast. We've just got back from the podcast namesake, the Schools and Academy Show London.
1: It was another fantastic show, even if we do say so ourselves. And just like the Birmingham Show last year, we're here
0: to give you a breakdown of some of the best bits from the show floor. Today will be a break from our typical format. Instead, we'll bring you some of the highlights from the show floor and the headlines that came about as a result.
1: If you're a fan of our guests, don't worry you just won't be stuck listening to me and Sam. We'll be bringing you some of the insight from a fantastic array of speakers from across the agenda. So let's not keep you waiting any longer.
0: With the Schools and Academy show being the country's leading educational policy event, it always leads to a stacked agenda and a packed show floor with a big buzz in the air of the Excel Centre. And how could there not be, with the quality of speakers and exhibitors who descended upon the show this year?
1: On our main stage, we had keynotes from Chris Russell from Ofsted and the Minister for the School System and Student Finance, Baroness Barron, along with interviews with regional directors Andrew Warren and Hannah Woodhouse, as well as Sam Friedman from the Institute of Government and a certain gold medalist, a national treasure, so to say, and our new best friend after having coffee with him, Mo Farah.
0: Of course, SAS is so much more than just the main stage. And with over 160 other speakers across the day, it'd be impossible for us to fit everything into one podcast. So keep your eyes on the Schools and Academy show website and blog for full audio recordings from the day. Trust me, you don't want to miss them.
1: There's everything you could imagine on the show floor from previous podcast guests, Sir Andrew Carter leading discussions on the changing nature of schools, showcases displaying wellbeing solutions and innovative practice, to Matt Hancock talking about the importance of dyslexia screening, with Nicola Reeve from the Team Education
0: Trust. The show kicked off with a bang with an opening keynote address from Baroness Barron, and it was standing room only in the main stage as people flooded in to hear her speak on the recently published quality trust descriptors for the first time publicly, among other things. Her speech was reported in both
1: Schools Week and the TES. The two publications took two different angles on the story. The test focused on her, quote, there are no plans to introduce Ofsted inspections of multi-academy trusts because many MATs are so young and not fully mature.
0: As it stands, the central functions of MATs are not inspected and Baroness Barron stated that this would cause what she called a huge burden should MAT level Ofsted inspections be introduced. During the Q&A she took at the end of the session, when asked about mat-level inspections, the Baroness stated that the department had been thinking about two things.
1: One focus was about the maturity of the sector, with the Baroness saying, we felt we needed to put in more support and more capacity building because so many of the trusts are so young and not yet fully mature. So we were not sure if it was really
2: a
0: helpful thing to do at this point. Schools Week took a different angle on the story, focusing on the statements the Baroness made around trusts needing "quote" more support and capacity building over Ofsted inspections. This was summed up by the Baroness's quote, we weren't sure it was really a helpful thing to do at this point.
1: Baroness Barron also spoke on the matter of school conversions and for the need of this to be transparent as possible. The government recently published their descriptors of quality trusts, and this will be used to inform commissioning decisions We'll include a link to those in the description. Looking further ahead, Baroness Barron also went on to inform the delegates of further changes around
0: school capital and the responsibilities of those bodies around that. But that's enough blathering on from us. Let's have a listen about the session from the lady herself. Here's what Baroness Barron had to say to me about her speech when I caught up with her straight afterwards. Before we jump into it, we'd just like to say again a massive thank you to the Baroness and her team for both giving up her time to come and speak at the Schools and Academy show, and to chat with us personally. Let's hear what she has to say. And we're off to the races here at the Schools of the Academy show. I'm currently joined by the fantastic Baroness Baron, who kicked us off today with her opening keynote. Baroness, thank you so much for joining me immediately after your speech. Would you like to give the listeners at home just a little snippet of what you spoke on today and let them know what they missed out on by staying at home?
3: Sure. So um, it's been a real pleasure uh, to be here. Um, I started my remarks just by acknowledging what an incredibly tough environment it is Uh, for schools at the moment with inflation at levels we didn't expect, with industrial action, with real challenges on recruitment and obviously incredibly importantly on attendance. I did pause for a moment to celebrate yesterday's news that we'd reached fourth in the uh, international reading uh, league table, the Pearls survey, which is absolutely fantastic, the highest country In the West, so huge thanks to all primary school teachers in particular. Beyond that, my focus really was to explain where we're concentrating in the department, which is on quality, uh, on support for school trusts and schools and their leaders, and just on the urgency of making sure that we get things uh, right for children as quickly as possible because they only have one education.
0: Next up was one of our other keynotes from the day, Coming from Chris Russell, the National Director of Education at Ofsted. Ofsted have been in the press time and time again over the past few months and they're a well-known name across the sector. And our regular leaders will know that we've been keeping up to date on the pressure surrounding the inspectorate. So it'll be no surprise to you that the main stage was filled to the walls to hear what he had to say.
1: One of the key messages to come from the speech was that contrary to rumours circulating online, part-time inspectors are not quitting the watchdog despite widespread calls for them to do
0: so. Chris wanted delegates to know that the organisation are not tin-eared in his own words regarding the recent press and pressure and the inspectorate are not just ignoring all the coverage they have been receiving. Schools Week also had a write-up about this session and drew attention to the comments Chris made around work undertaken so the schools will have a clearer picture of what inspection will look like as we move towards 2025. And when these happen, we will, of course, keep you up to date on any development.
1: Chris also spoke about how the pandemic had created an uncertainty around inspection timings. The test picked up on this, stating, with outstanding rated schools on tenterhooks, we have no idea about when they will be visited
0: next. During his Q&A, Chris was asked if Ofsted would follow the model of the C of E Cyan's inspection by publishing the year in which schools were to be inspected. He questioned if this would, quote, reduce inspection stress, or was it going to heighten it?
1: But that's just a small taste of what was covered during the day. During the show, I managed to find some time to grab some words with our expert speakers. First up, we'll speak with Daniel Sobel, the founder of Inclusion Network, and Beg Gudgeon, headmaster of the Yehudi Menuhin School. And good morning from the Schools and Academies show, London. I'm very fortunate enough to be joined by Daniel Sobel, Hello. Founder of Inclusion Network, Daniel. Can you tell us about yourself and what you do, you do within the sector?
4: Um, I um, what what have I done? I, you know, I set up Inclusion Experts. We have worked with uh, about ten thousand schools supporting inclusion in different ways in England uh, and the UK mainly. And so I also set up the International Forum of Inclusion Practitioners. We're in one hundred and twenty countries. Um, we support inclusion. Uh, we partnered with the EU, UNESCO, and various other things. We've got lots of going. We've got lots going on. And what have you been speaking on today? Um, there was a panel discussion about the role of the sector, um, and uh, what happened was the other panelists were saying really positive things about the sector and how things are evolving, um, and I was I basically chose. On purpose, a uh, controversial position. So I, I try to say something mm-hmm. controversial for every question.
1: And what was your controversial take there today? Um, Here's one takeaway
4: of your controversy. <laughs> I said I wouldn't recommend being a Senko to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I said, no, for example, that there's a massive amount of paperwork in the, in, oh, okay, involved yeah. in uh, SCN. It's just too much paperwork and it's ridiculous. It's not necessary. Um, but it's a role which is sort of set up for conflict. Um, and so there's conflict between uh, the Senko and parents and uh, leadership in the school and and uh, local authority and so on so this is sort of a, it's a, it's it's an unfair role in many ways so we I was sort of coming from that position and talking about how things need to evolve to a sort of kinder more emotionally intelligent space What what, what is the solution
1: to that then how do we go around that what's the journey to a kinder more intelligent space
4: um, well I think that uh, at the heart of it is that SEN has become like a, a problematized um, thing, where we're, whereby we um, labelize children as being what they can't do, it's all about what they can't do, right? We capture what they can't do and then as a result what we must do. And uh, it's a never-ending uh, filling of an empty bucket uh, which is all about they can't do this so therefore we must do that. And I think that system is, uh, has been proven to be broken, it doesn't work and the reason is because there'll never be an end to that request for more and more and more. Parents want more, schools want more, teachers want more, local authorities are constantly trying to say less. So my suggestion is that we rethink SEN as a sort of broader uh, vision of what SEN could be. So uh, we think about how do we promote independence, right? And promoting independence isn't each year reviewing, doing an annual review and asking what more could we do. We ask what less less can we now do? And that each year we should be evolving uh, um, our understanding of a child to become more and more independent. Um, So it's a different uh, view, it's a different take. Um, Of course, people listening to this may say, well, we did that anyway. And actually, the evidence suggests that we don't, um, as does the um, endless uh, overspend on budgets um, across the country in each local authority with high needs
1: And you're not just speaking in the senator Theatre, you're also speaking in our School Improvement later on with Ben Goodgen, headmaster of the... the Yehudi Menu in school. <laughs>
5: I'll
1: edit that. But thank <laughs> you ever so much. And Ben, what will you be speaking with Daniel on later? We're going to be speaking about the role of the arts
5: in school improvement um, and fostering from healthy school um, atmospheres in general. populations. Excellent. And what you expect? Are you, what would you imagine to come out of that session? You got any ideas? Well, I'm 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 hopeful that there will be some people in the audience who are not already arts people. Yeah. Um, although I suspect that we're unlikely to be in with with maths professionals. But really, what we want to do is to communicate to people who are not in the arts how valuable the arts is and not just as a support to other more important subjects in, in people's perspectives but in in their own right and and how they are valuable from, from a career perspective as well as an emotional perspective as well as a you know self you know self-identity perspective
1: and i suppose in, in a world where curriculums are increasingly broad and the and assessment is well, attain attainment and assessment is so rigorous the arts gets pushed to the side in some cases, I imagine.
5: I think so, and, and perhaps slightly more worrying than that, the, the the people who are really pushing for the arts often are doing so because they are considered to be beneficial to other subjects yep. um, instead of in their own right. And that's one of the things I'm hoping to champion, that actually arts aren't just there so that you're better at English and maths. Arts are there because you're, it makes you a better person
1: and a, a more fulfilled person. Excellent. Well, thank you both. Thank you ever so much for your time. I really appreciated it. And uh, I look forward to your session later on.
0: We get speakers from all walks of life for the show, and it's essential that we have all different voices represented. The academic perspective is, of course, always welcome. Dr Trevor Mayle, Associate Professor in the UCL Centre for Educational Leadership, was one such speaker and was discussing the changing nature of schools and trusts in our opening panel on the Trust and Trustees Theatre. Here's what he had to say. Hello, and I'm fortunate
1: enough to be joined by Dr Trevor Mayle from University College London, who's been speaking in one of our theatres today. Um, Trevor, can you please tell our listeners what you were speaking on
6: and in which theatre? I was in the Trusts and Trustees Theatre, and the topic was are trusts the way forward for schools following the pandemic. So we were investigating what was and wasn't a good trust, how they were working, what the purpose of them was, and I made a point, a big point I thought was we've got one of the biggest education experiments in the country's history of education and we've actually got no research of any sort of importance going into it. And we're struggling around we find out what 1,100 different organisations as multi-academy trusts are doing in our education system. Do you think we're the sector of benefit from some research on that then? I think very much so. We don't know. We've only got DfE telling us what a good trust looks like. They have no evidence on the ground to suggest that these are the features that you should be working with. And, you know, it's time we actually had some more insight into what people are doing rather than what the DfE would like people to do. I was going to say, do you think the <laughs> sector needs to take
1: some ownership of this and sort of have a bit of direction saying this is what we believe
6: is important and what is good yeah. and it'll, it'll offer a bit of challenge maybe to the, to the DfE? I think so, because the, the biggest organisation that's in a position to do that is actually doing some work already, which is the Confederation of School Trusts, and they are doing some interesting stuff, but it seems that there's still a driven purpose or an ambition, which is nothing to do with what's going on on the ground, it's more what would like to be done, uh, what certain members of government would like to see happening. Mm -hmm. So we've now got a situation where just over half the students in the country are in academies, mostly in multi-academy trusts, and we should be moving forward to say, well, what are we doing about the other half, and what's this doing for our education system? And if trusts really are the answer, then let's find out some more about good practice which will get embed into all right across the system.
1: Absolutely. Brilliant. That was really thoughtful for me. So thank you ever so much. I'll take that on board. And thank you for your time today. It's always a pleasure to chat with Carl Poupe And I was really lucky to find some time during the day with him to have a quick chat. Carl has a wealth of knowledge and his insights are really useful to hear. Here's Carl talking about his session in the Send Theatre. I've just bumped into friend of the podcast and friend of the show, Carl Poupe, who's been speaking in our Sen Theatre. Carl, what have you been talking on?
7: So, uh, um, the, the subject was um, not all Senkos wear capes, and we're just talking about the world of Sen, to be honest, and looking at um, everything that's happening in society and how it's affecting the role and what we can do to support our Senkos. And what were the big messages or keynotes to take away from that, from that session? Um, the keynotes is that Senkos do an incredibly difficult job. They're at the intersection of everything, but they're not really as appreciated as maybe uh, other members of the school community, like yeah. their curriculum and so on and so forth. So the big message I took away from it is that we've got to show more love to our Senkos. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I like that. <laughs> um, do better things for their career progression, and also just offer them a biscuit and a cup of tea because it's a tough gig. And is this your first time at the schools and academies? First show? time ever. And what would you what would you say to people thinking about right coming? Please come please come i mean i've just been around the stalls and they're absolutely brilliant one of the things uh that i'm passionate about is um ai and technology because i honestly believe that ai is going to change education beyond recognition and the fact that um this uh this conference is ahead of the curve and i've been talking to people is is, is brilliant it covers everything from safety to um, governance to curriculum to ai to calm down
1: I have a feeling that we'll be talking to Carl on other subjects in the future, so I'm sure you're going to hear more from him in the future. Thank you so much, Carl.
7: Thank you, brother.
0: Governors play a key role in education, and governance is a really important topic within the sector, and we made sure to reflect that within our agenda, with a session dedicated to supporting governors adapting to working within education. Award-winning Governor Jill Cowley joined us at the show for the first time to share her thoughts on the day. I'm now joined, or... Well, lucky enough
1: to be joined by Jill Cowley, one of our speakers um, today. Jill, can you tell us what your role is within the sector and where you've been speaking?
2: So, I'm Chair of Governors of Our Queen of Peace Catholic Primary School, which is a small primary school in the north of England. And I've been speaking in the Trustees Theatre about governance and the role of um, of governance from a governor's point of view.
1: And what were some of the key takeaways from your session today?
2: Um, Well, I did it as a a chat with Hannah Stoughton, which was uh, really interesting because she's from a training perspective and I'm coming from, although she's a governor, um, I'm from having the training delivered to me. So my key takeaway is that, yeah, a lot of people are thinking alike. Training's important, induction's important, um, and governors can, um, it's a very rewarding role.
1: Yeah. Yeah. we see governance likely to change over the next few years. Sort of what direction do you see the role of governance taking?
2: Um, I think the push towards maths will change it because they're, they're based on a business, more of a business model, although education is still part of it. Um, whereas from a governance point of view, having a board of governors is slightly different. Um, the maths are bigger. They look at, across several schools, they're looking, whereas as a, as a Chair of Governance of a small primary, my only concern is about that primary school and how that's working in the education sector.
1: Brilliant, thank you. And Jill, I believe it's your first time at schools and academies. Can you tell me your experiences of the show and what your thoughts?
2: Do you know what? I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I've not been to one before it's lovely walking around the uh, exhibitions and um, picking up information and ideas but it's also really enjoyable hearing all the different perspectives around SEND because we've got a high uh, percentage of pupils with additional needs in our school to the religious side because we're a catholic school um, to hearing Sir Farah who was telling about how he, how school was helpful to him eventually, because, you know, he did say his, um, his difficulties to begin with. And just meeting like-minded people who are all really involved in the education sector and want the best for our pupils. So it, it's been a lovely event.
1: Jill, I'm glad you've had a good time. Thank you for joining us. As we know, safeguarding is everyone's responsibility. And supporting schools in their journey to improve their safeguarding is a key mission of the show. That's why we had Annie Hudson, chair of the Child Safeguarding Practice Review Panel, sharing her thoughts and insights. Here's Annie talking about her session. I have the privilege of speaking to Annie Hudson in our Safeguarding and Wellbeing Theatre. Annie, what have you been speaking on today?
8: I've been talking about what we're learning uh, in terms of how well agencies work together to protect and safeguard children and drawing in particular on uh, local and national reviews where children have died or been seriously harmed and identifying some of the, the lessons from those reviews about how we might need to improve our practice working together.
1: Fantastic. And what are the key takeaways from the session today?
8: For me, that the first thing is that we need to um, be confident about giving, challenging one another and being um, not assuming that what we, we believe we are seeing is happening to a child is necessarily the only way it would to, so that we, we're always checking our biases, that we're having conversations with other professionals who know children, but will know children in a different context, and making sure that we draw together that information and knowledge and intelligence about what's happening in a child's life into one coherent whole, so that we know when it is that we might need to step in uh, to protect children.
1: Brilliant. Thank you ever so much for that. Thank you for joining us at the Schools and Academy Show London.
8: Pleasure.
0: As the sun began to set on the end of the day, well, actually, no, it doesn't set for a few hours after the show wraps, but that's irrelevant. Right at the end of the day, Alex bumped into two of our speakers, Dave Howard from Stan's Cafe and Stuart Warden, principal of the world-famous Brit School, whose alumni include Amy Winehouse, Adele and Tom Holland. To finish off our on-site recordings, here they are discussing their session in the School Improvement Theatre.
1: I'm joined by Dave Howard and Stuart Warden, Stuart from the Brit School and Dave Howard from Stan's Learning Cap. What have you been speaking on today, gentlemen?
9: The Art of Improvement. Well, that was that was the title given to the session. So looking at the role of the arts uh, in mainstream education, uh, how important it is for the arts to be included for their own, in their own right for themselves but also um, how valuable they are in in support of uh, whole school improvement and learning in general. Yeah,
10: we were talking about how the arts can transform a young person's life and how it can almost sometimes save them and sometimes even save a school. So the more arts that you're going on in a school, it's frequently seen that the school will improve, it'll be a happier home, it'll be a more secure, safe sense of belonging because the arts get you to share, express yourself yeah that was our that was our yeah we were trying to change the world
1: trying, i like that deep especially in that <laughs> session on the day I'm, I'm all for it what were the key
9: takeaways uh i think the key take i mean the, it, it was interesting being the head te- head of the brit school principal of the um, hoodie Menuing school uh, called those of us out in the wilds it felt like illustrious company being on that stage but the surprising thing was uh Unanimity—the agreement that we had um, uh, across the board, really, not just on the arts for their own right, in their own uh, standing alone for for their own purpose as part of the curriculum but also how valuable they are to everything else. And I, and I think when we, we focused on building community, we focused on the arts as a way of engaging with, with children in a way that, um, that maths or, or might not necessarily do. So uh, all of those things, I think there's lots of agreement on stage.
10: Yeah, and I, I, I liked... I had a sense that the audience, which the school leaders predominantly, they knew that the arts mattered and they it was almost like us saying to them, go on, do it, you know you want to, you know you need to. And I
1: think, I, I hope that they might go back a bit refreshed. Sometimes we just need that bit of encouragement,
10: that modelling of saying, you can do this, we'll support Yeah, we had an amazing conversation with a woman that involves a, um, an alternative provision centre, an amazing conversation with someone who's trying to set up different ways of primary school teachers teaching music, and that's profound we know that it will transform those young people's lives. So yeah, it was a good session. Fantastic. And I've never been here before, or I can't remember being here before. Have you enjoyed it? Yeah, it's been a great day. No. And, uh, yeah,
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, great energy. Considering I've just shoved my phone in your face on the last thing in the day, I do apologise, and they remarkably coherent answers. <laughs> so gentlemen, thank you ever so much for joining us at the it's Schools and Academies. Thank job. you. Yeah. We normally wrap things up by telling you to register for the Schools and Academies show. And don't put it completely out of your
0: head, as the show will return to the NEC Birmingham in November, with registrations opening later in the year. Seeing as we are pretty much as far away from the next show as possible, your time is better spent catching up with the best bits of the London show just gone. Whether you want to relive your memories or just get jealous of those who got to meet Mo Farah, make sure you follow us at SAA underscore show and keep up with the hashtag hashtag SAA show to view all the best bits from the show floor and theatres and while you're at it make sure to follow the schools and academy show on linkedin as well
1: well that's all from us this month and make sure you join us next month when we return to our normal scheduled programming we hope you had a great time at the schools and academy show london and if you weren't there we hope we've sold that experience to you and we really look forward to seeing you in birmingham
0: until then though it's
1: goodbye from me And I suppose that's goodbye from me.